In this recording, we're going to go through chapters 2 and 3 of the Sefer Sha'arim Lashare Yosher by Rabbi Ruvain Raz. And this continues with Reb Shimon Shkup's ideas in Shar Aleph, Gate 1 of Share Yosher. So this recording is going to continue discussing the theme of the previous recording, that there are independent obligations of reason, which are not mentioned by the Torah, but one is obligated to follow them because that's logical. So Reb Shimon's going to find another very important form of this concept, and then he's going to find another halachic category which is similar to it. So he begins with a debate between the Rambam and the Ramban. Why are we obligated to listen to the rabbis? The Torah tells us 613 mitzvahs and many other rules that we're obligated to do. Those are de'oraisas. And then the rabbis add all sorts of other mitzvahs and commands like Hanukkah candles, all sorts of commandments which are rabbinic, they're drabanan. So the question is, why do we have to listen to the rabbis? So this is a big debate between the Rambam and the Ramban. The Rambam rules that it's based on the mitzvah in the Torah of Losasur. The Torah says that we should listen to the high court. So that means if the rabbis make a decree, we're bound by Torah law to listen to them. Now the Ramban questions this because he says if that's the rationale, then every Every drabanan is really a da'oraisa. There's no difference between da'oraisa and drabanan if they're all rooted in the Torah. So the Ramban says that losasur is specifically referring to when the rabbis interpret the Torah. So if they say that this is the meaning of the Torah, then we are obligated to listen to that interpretation and not explain the Torah differently. But there are times like Hanukkah candles where the rabbis are not saying this is what the Torah means. They're coming up with an entirely new rule, which is totally based in Jarabanan. So according to the Ramban, that's not included in the Torah command of Losasar. So now Reb Shimon asks, well, according to the Ramban, then why are we obligated to listen to rabbinic law? The Ramban is not giving us a basis for why the rabbis have power to create new mitzvahs, and they certainly do. They don't limit themselves only to interpreting the Torah. They come up with totally new mitzvahs, again, like the Hanukkah candles. So according to the Ramban, we have a huge question, why are we obligated to listen to the rabbis? Says Reb Shimon, the answer to this is again that there is an independent realm of reason. According to the Ramban, we should listen to Chazal based on our own reason, our logic. Since Chazal, who are more brilliant and more holy and pious than we could ever imagine. They felt that this was the right thing to decree. So we know that that's certainly the right thing to do. Just like our logic, our reason tells us that we should obey the word of Hashem. So that same reason, that same logic indicates that we should also listen Listen to the great and holy Chazal. So says Reb Shimon, the idea that he developed in the previous recording to explain why, according to the Rambam, a Suffolk Isser is still prohibited, even though the Torah never prohibited, but logic prohibits it. Says Reb Shimon, the same thing applies in the view of the Ramban, why we have to obey Chazal, even though the Torah never told us to do so, 
because again, otherwise it would be a deoraisa. So the Torah never said to obey Chazal. But our reason, Seichel tells us that we should be doing whatever they said because they obviously know better than us. Now, it's worth pointing out that Reb Shimon's student, Reb Elchanan Wasserman, he studied under Reb Shimon when he was younger. Then later he studied under Reb Chaim Soloveitchik as well as the Chafetz Chaim. And he became one of the leading Rosh Yeshiva in Baranovich. So Reb Elchanan in his Kovetz Biurim has a kuntris called Kuntris Divrei Sofrim. And in there, he discusses the same issue. And he proposes a very similar approach to Reb Shimon. But instead of calling it Seichel, he calls it the Ratzon Hashem, the will of Hashem. So overall, they're very similar approaches, but there does seem to be some nuanced differences between them. Now, Reb Shimon adds to this analysis that the Ramban's question on the Rambam is that when you have a Suffolk de Oraisa, we treat it stringently, but a Suffolk de Rabbanan, we treat leniently. So the Ramban asks, according to the Rambam, there should be no difference. Both of them should have the same status. Says Reb Shimon, According to his interpretation of the Ramban, the way to formulate the difference is that when something is prohibited according to the Torah, it's inherently prohibited. So when the Torah prohibits pork, the meat itself is prohibited. As opposed to drabanan, the object itself is not prohibited, but it's prohibited to violate what the rabbis tell us to do. So we have an overall obligation to obey the words of the rabbis, but the object itself does not change. It does not become inherently prohibited because of the drabanan. So that's why there's a difference in a case of suffolk. When there's a suffolk de oraisa, it's possible that this object is inherently problematic or it might not be. But either way, you have to avoid it because of the possibility that it's inherently problematic. As opposed to a suffolk drabanan, where even if the object was totally usser, it would not be inherent to the object. The prohibition would be to disobey the words of the rabbis. Now, in a case of suffolk, no one's disobeying their words because we don't know if it's prohibited. So there's no problem with the object and there's no problem of disobeying the rabbis. So that's why it's permitted. As opposed to suffolk doraisa, even though there's no problem of disobeying the Torah because it's a suffolk, but it's possible that the object itself is problematic and that's why we go lechumrah. So that's Reb Shimon explanation for the difference between Suffolk Dorais and Suffolk Drabanan because in a case of Suffolk there is no problem of disobeying the rabbis and that's the whole problem of a Drabanan. Now Rebel Elchanan in his Kuntras Divrei Sofrim also quotes this basic difference between Doraisa and Drabanan in the name of Rab Chaim Brisker and I also discuss it for those who are interested in another recording on my Rab Chaim Soloveitchik podcast channel regarding his son the Brisker Rav in Chidushe Moran Riz Levi Hilchos Shvisas Asur. It's called Sick Person on Yom Kippur. So that piece touches on this issue of the distinction between Doraisa and Drabanan. Now, continuing with Reb Shimon, so he gets involved in another issue which is going to relate to this whole discussion. When it comes to Sveikos, uncertainties in Halacha, there's something called a Svek Sveika. So that means instead of there being only one Sveik, there's two or possibly more Sveikos. So let's say, for example, there was some something tamay, impure, in someone's house, but they don't know if they came in contact with it. So that would be one suffix. Let's say they now have a second suffix that they're not even sure if they entered the house. So now that's a double suffix. So we're more lenient in a case of svek sveka. 
Now, there is a debate in the Mishnah in Taharos chapter 6 between the Chachamim and Rebbe Lezer. What happens in a case of a Svek Sveka of Tumah in a Rishos Hayachid? So, in general, if there's a Suffek of Tumah in a private domain, we are stringent. The person has to act Tameh. And that's derived from the case of Sota, where there's a woman who possibly committed adultery. And obviously, that would be in a private place. And still, she's prohibited to her husband. So, we derive derive from Sota that a Suffolk Tumah Bershus HaYachid is Tameh. Now, the debate is, what if it's not one Suffolk, it's multiple Sveikos? So the Chachamim say that even so, we have to be stringent, the person is Tameh, and Rebbe Lezer disagrees, he holds that we only derive from Sota one Suffolk is Tameh. But if there's multiple Sveikos, so it's no longer like Sota, and at that point, the person is not Tameh, even in a Rishus HaYachid. So Reb Shimon asks on the view of the Chachamim, how can you say that we derive from Sota even to a case which is different because there's multiple Sveikos? We have all sorts of examples in Halacha where we differentiate between a Suffolk of Tumah which is derived from Sota versus one which is not. For example, if there's someone you can ask about what happened to this Suffolk Tumah, then we no longer go stringently because now it's not the same as Sota. So it's very clear that we only derive from Sota cases which are exactly parallel. Now, if there's a Svek Sveka, it's no longer the same as Sota. So how can the Chachamim derive from Sota that we have to be stringent in that case? That's the first question that he asks. His second question is that the Gemara in Ksubis Tesvav Amad Aleph implies that a rove, if there's a majority indicating that in this case the person is pure, would work even in a Rishus HaYachid. So the person would not be considered Tameh if there was a rove that they're Tahor. Because the Gemara says only if the objects are Kavua, they're stationary, they're not moving, then we treat them as if it's a Suffolk, it's a 50-50 uncertainty. But if it's a rove, then the person would be considered Tahor. So why should a rove be stronger than a Svek Sveka? And his third question is that the Gemara in Ksubis Yudalad seems to say exactly the opposite, that a Svek Sveka is stronger than rove. Because the view of Rabbi Yoshua is that if a woman was violated and there's a majority, a rove of the men would not invalidate her to a Kohen, so she's not invalidated to a Kohen because we follow the rove. As as opposed to Svek Sveka that Rabbi Yoshua does not follow. So that indicates that Rove is stronger than a Svek Sveka, and yet we just said the opposite, that according to the Chachamim, you do not follow a Svek Sveka in Tumah of Rishos HaYachid, whereas you would follow a Rove. So that seems to be a contradiction. Which one is stronger, Rove or Svek Sveka? So to answer all this, Reb Shimon gets into a debate with the Pnei Yoshua about how to understand the concept of Svexfeka. And this begins with one of the more famous examples of a Svexfeka. The Gemara in Ksubis discusses the case of Pesach Pasuach Matsasi. A couple gets married, and when they're intimate, the husband realizes that the wife is not a virgin. So the halacha is that he's believed to say that she's prohibited to him because it looks like she committed adultery, so they would be prohibited to continue as a married couple. Now, the Gemara asks, why is this not a case of a Svek Sveka, because there's two suffakes. On the one hand, we're not sure when she was intimate with another man. Was it before she got married, in which case she's not 
prohibited to her new husband or was it after? And even if it was after, was she forced? Was she raped? In which case she's not prohibited to her husband or did she do so willingly? So that's a svek sveka. So why do we believe the husband that they're prohibited to stay married? So Tosfos asks on this, how is the second suffix a real suffix? Because for the most part, when a woman is intimate with another man, it's almost certainly willing adultery. The chances of rape are very, very slight, and generally people hear about that. So how can we treat this as a real 50-50 suffix when it's clear that the majority of cases are going to be berotzon willingly? Says Tosfos, this idea that the majority of cases are willing is a drabanan, and in this case, the rabbis were not stringent, so they treat it like a svek sveka so that the marriage would not be prohibited. So now Tosfos seems to be saying that if there would be a clear rove that most women commit adultery willingly, so then in this case, the wife would be prohibited because it would not be considered a real suffix. We would consider this a case of a rove that presumably she did commit adultery and therefore she's prohibited to her husband. It's only because we have two equal sveikos, so ultimately it's like a 50-50 question as to whether she committed adultery and is prohibited, so therefore we can say that in this case she's permitted. So now comes along the Pnei Yoshua and he asks a very penetrating question. Even if there was a real rove that she committed adultery berotzon willingly, she should still be permitted according to Tosvos. Because says the Pnei Yoshua, how does a svek sveka work to begin with? What's the whole idea that if there's not just one suffix, there's two or more suffix, then suddenly it becomes permitted? Especially according to the view of the Rashba that we discussed in the previous recording, that suffix de oraisa lechumra is according to Torah law. And the Pnei Yoshua says that that's also the view of Tosfos. So according to that view, if there's one suffix, you have to be stringent according to Torah law. So what does it matter if there's now two suffakes? Why does that suddenly change the situation and you can be lenient? Says the Pnei Yoshua that the Rashba explains it's based on a rove. Meaning if you have a suffake, so now there's a 50% chance that it's okay and a 50% chance that it's not okay. But if you now have another suffake, that means there's another factor, there's some other amount of percentage which also says that this is okay. So if you put that together with the first 50%, so now it's more than 50% chance that this is okay. So that's a rove. So the basis of Svek Sveka is based on rove. If there's only one suffix, so then it's a 50% chance that there's a problem. But once there's a second suffix, so now the chances of it being a problem go down and the chances of it being okay are more than 50%, so that's why it's okay. Says the Pnei Yoshua, this is going to be a problem on Tosvos now. Even if there is a majority that the woman committed adultery berotzon, even so, since there's a 50% chance that she did it before she got married, 
married and a 50% chance that she did it after. Even if there's a tiny percentage that it was rape. So now we combine that together with the 50% chance before she got married. And there's a more than 50% chance that she's permitted to stay married. So there should be a rove allowing them to stay married. So this goes against the way Tosfos presented this whole topic. So Reb Shimon answers the view of Tosfos and he explains that Tosfos disagrees with the Pnei Yoshua's explanation of a Sfek Sveka. It's not based on Rove. It's based on something else. And Reb Shimon says that if we look at the language, it's called a Sfek Sveka. It's not called two suffakes, which would be the idea of the Pnei Yoshua. So according to Reb Shimon, we're talking about something else here. It's not because since there's a double suffix, there's now multiple factors that are saying it's allowed. So that's more than a 50% chance, but rather it's built into this concept of Sfek Sveka. It's a suffix shell suffake. Since there is a suffake on a suffake, so now we can be lenient. Meaning in the original case, there is a suffake of whether this is prohibited. So there we have to be stringent, either the way the Rashba says it or the way Reb Shimon explained according to the Rambam. But once you now have another suffake on the case of suffake, so there we do not have to be stringent. There we can certainly be lenient because that's a sfek sfeka. So it's not about the overall percentages. It's about the suffake shell suffake, a suffake of a suffake, you're allowed to be lenient. And says Reb Shimon very brilliantly that the reason for this is exactly as he just explained when it comes to suffake drabanan. Because the problem in a case of suffake, the way he explained it according to the Rambam, is that what prohibits this case is logic. The Torah did not prohibit a suffake da'oraisa. The issue is that the person is playing games because they're getting too close to potentially doing something which is prohibited. So that's why a person should avoid a suffix de oraisa. So that's the exact same explanation for why we have to obey Jarabanans. Reb Shimon just said it's also based on Seichel. So Seichel tells us to obey the rabbis and to avoid a suffix de oraisa. So that means in both cases, there's not an inherent problem Problem with the object itself, like a regular Isr Doraisa, but Seichel is telling us to avoid this situation. So, just like when it comes to Suffolk Drabanan, since the person is not actively disobeying the rabbis because it's a Suffolk, so they're allowed to go ahead and do this. So, the same is true of a Suffolk on a Suffolk de Oraisa, because in the case of Suffolk de Oraisa, there isn't a problem with the inherent object. We should avoid it. But once there's now a suffix on that case, so we don't have to be that stringent and avoid a sfek sfeka. So that's the explanation of why a suffix on a suffix is permitted. So that explains why Tosvo says that if the possibility of Baratzon would be a majority, so there's a rove that she willingly committed adultery, then that's not a real suffix. So they would not be permitted to stay married. You can't call that a sfek sfeka if the second suffix is not 
not a real suffix. Both sides of the equation, both suffakes have to be a real suffix, and then we can treat this as a specsfeka. According to the Pnei Yoshua, even if the second suffix only gives a minority percentage to allow, that's still enough to create a rove that this is allowed. Whereas according to Reb Shimon's explanation, the second suffix has to also be a real suffix, so we can consider this a suffix on a suffix, but if the second suffix is a rove, so then it would be prohibited. So that explains how Tosvos sets this halacha up. Now, returning to the view of the Chachamim in a Svek Sveka of Tumah Bershusayachid, so applying this, we can explain their view as well. And that is based on an important distinction. Reb Shimon says that there's a difference between a rove versus a chazaka, a status. When we have a rove, so that's actually clarifying the suffix. There's an uncertainty, and we're not sure what to do halachically. The rove does not tell us what to do halachically. It tells us what the situation is. Now, once we clarify the situation, so then we can obviously figure out what to do halachically, which is different than a chazaka. A chazaka does not clarify the situation. All it tells us is what to do halachically. So there's still a suffix, but being that one of the sides has a prior status, so we just continue with that chazaka. Because says Reb Shimon, if a rove didn't clarify the situation, it only told us what to do halachically, so then it would contradict the chazaka, and the chazaka should just overpower the rove. So the way the rove is able to work is that it doesn't tell us what to to do halachically, it clarifies the whole situation to begin with, so the chazaka never gets started. So now, applying that distinction will explain how the chachamim formulate their idea. The concept of a svexfeka is like a chazaka, not a rove. Again, Reb Shimon holds that a svexfeka doesn't work as a rove, it works in a different way. So it does not clarify the actual situation, it tells us what to do halachically, which is like a chazaka. So that's why the Chachamim say that a case of Svek Sveka is the same as a case of Sota, even though there it's only one Suffolk. Because the Torah is telling us that in a Rishos HaYachid, we don't follow the Chezkas Tahara, we don't apply the Chazaka that this object is Tahor. We assume that it's Tameh, that's the stringency of Suffolk Tomeh Rishos HaYachid, which is derived from Sota. So the same logically applies also to Svek Sveka even though it's a slightly different case, but the principles are the same. Because the question is, do we apply Svek Sveka, which is like a Chazaka in this case, and we derive from Sota that we do not do so. But that also explains why we would apply a Rove, because a Rove is a totally different factor. It's not just how the Halacha tells us to go ahead and do it, it's a way of actually clarifying the situation. So that is, of course, different from Sota. The case of Sota is when there is no way to clarify the situation, so we don't follow a Chazaka, or by extension, a Svek Sveka. But if there's a Rove, so that would of course change the whole situation, and there we could be lenient and not have to be strict. So that explains why, according to the Gemara, a Rove would be better than a Svek Sveka.
Now, in the case of Rabbi Yoshua, where a woman was violated, so he says that a sveksveka is better than a rove, because Rabbi Yoshua holds that a rove is not sufficient to clarify the situation in that case. So that's why a rove doesn't work. But a sveksveka will still work, because the way Reb Shimon explained it, it's a suffix on a case of a suffix, so you don't have to be stringent in that case. Once there's the first suffix, so that downgrades the level of stringency. It's no longer a pure prohibition. Now there's a suffix. So even though reason says to avoid it, but once there is a suffix on that case, so you don't have to be stringent to that extent. So that's why you're allowed to be lenient in that case. So that's why the rove versus the sveksveka plays out differently in different cases.